that we can read your word and be encouraged by it, that we can uh, read your word and be changed by it. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've done and what you continue to do in our lives. Lord, we pray right now that you bring this word that we read and we expound upon uh, to life in our, in our lives so that we can follow you, we can know you, we can love you. I pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Seeing is believing. We've all heard this phrase, right? We probably all have used this phrase or even live and operate our life by this phrase. If my son claims he can do something that he's never done before, my response is usually, show me. If someone is trying to prove an argument that I don't believe them, my response is usually, prove it, which is really just an adult way of saying, show me. In so many areas of our life, seeing seems to be believing. We feel that if we can see something, if we can really get our hands around it, that we can believe in it better or stronger or more sure. But what happens when we take that thought, seeing as believing, and bring it to our faith? Well, there seems to be immediate kind of tension there because the Bible tells us that faith is having assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things unseen that so many times we can't see. God. We can't see what he's doing. We can't see how he's working in our life. And so how does this idea that seeing is believing work when we come to God? And usually, if you're like me, it works like this. We start dreaming and wishing that we were back when Jesus walked the earth and said, man, if only I saw him do what he did. Or if only I saw him feed the 5,000 and heal that guy or heal this woman. If only I saw that I would believe more or better or surer. But is that really true? If we saw Jesus do what he did, would we believe more than we do today? Well, I think that we can see a little bit of the answer in John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. So if you have your Bibles, please open up to John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. If you don't have the Bibles, don't worry. It'll be on the screen's up here that you can follow along. It says, After two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water water wine. And And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill, When this man heard that Jesus had come from Galilee to Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he, be, uh, when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus has said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had gone from Judea to Galilee. A point of this passage that I think we can apply to our lives is this. Growing faith is an informed faith. This is the idea that 
we see this happening when Jesus encounters people is that they are informed. They see who him for who he is. He teaches them. They, he shows something about himself, and so their faith grows. And the funny thing is that miracles are really not the thing that grows someone's faith. It's knowing Jesus, interacting with him, learning from him, that grows someone's faith. And we see this comparison in this passage that people would flock to Jesus and they would see the great things he did, but that's not what changed lives, but rather just knowing Jesus is what changes lives. And that's true for us as well. Growing faith is an informed faith. But when we come to this passage, let's put it in its context where it falls within the book of John. For this passage is really about a comparison between two types of people. Where we start in verse 43, it says, After the two days he departed for Galilee. And this picks up the story that we talked about last week when Jesus was traveling from Judea uh, to Galilee and he had to go through Samaria. And he ends up having that conversation with the woman at the well and he stays there for two days. And so this is just picking up the same kind of story. After those two days, he finishes that trip. He finally gets to Galilee. And so we see the placing of this passage is a comparison between the Galileans and the Samaritans. And so we see that he's coming into Galilee, and it makes this tiny little comment, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet had no honor in his own hometown. And so he gets to Galilee, and it says, So the Galileans welcomed him. Now, if we're reading this carefully, that makes no sense whatsoever. Because Galilee was, Galilee was his, um, his hometown, his stomping grounds. And so if G- John uh, writing this is reminding us that a prophet has no home honor in his own hometown, then it should say something like, then he gets to Galilee and the Galileans didn't welcome him. So what is this telling us? Well, if we look deeper and we see how it's talking about how they welcomed him because they had seen all that he had done in the feast in Jerusalem. We see it starts making more sense. They're not welcoming him as a prophet. They're not getting excited that Jesus is back here because they want to hear a word from God. They're welcoming him because they saw him do some great and crazy things in Jerusalem, and they want some more of that. They're welcoming him because they said they were at Jerusalem. They saw him do these signs and these wonders. He was healing people, and they want more of that. And so there's an irony here, is that in his own home region, where people should know who he is, people should respond to him, they don't respond. But just before, as he's traveling through Samaria, we see people who don't know who he is, the people we wouldn't think would respond, hearing him, knowing him, and coming to faith. That the Samaritans came to faith. Why? Not because of miracles, not because of things that amazed their minds, but because he spoke the truth of God to them and they believed in the word he spoke. And so we get this comparison, comparison here that the Samaritans received Jesus as he was and listened to him and came to faith. And the Galileans were more seeking curiosity and seeking those wonders, seeking the things that they, they, they kind of amaze them. And this is further kind of confirmed when Jesus is talking to the officials and he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. 
And when we read that, we go, man, Jesus, that's kind of harsh, this guy. That this guy comes up to you and says, hey, I want my son to be healed. And you go, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. But we miss something here because in our English, we only have one you. If we use it for singular, we use it for plural. You know, we can say you for you and we can say you for you. But here we see, actually, he switches. He's not talking just to this guy. He's using the plural you. You guys might recognize it as y'all. This would actually be, if you were in the north, it'd probably like use guys. But Jesus is basically saying, unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all won't believe. And so this guy is coming up to him and actually he's turning back to the crowd and says, you guys are only looking for those signs and wonders. You're looking for that curiosity. You're looking for that, that kind of big show. You're seeking wonders. You're not seeking me. And that's compared to the Samaritans who believed in him just because he spoke to them and knew them and they knew him. So this gives us a part of our answer. If we struggle with that, if you struggle with that like me, man, if only I lived back 2,000 years ago in the middle Near East and I saw Jesus doing his miracles, I would believe more. Would you? Would you be just like the Galileans wanting to see the show, wanting to get a healing, not so much seeking Jesus, but seeking what Jesus could give you? Not so much seeking to know him, but seeking to get from him. So I think we see that really it's not so much about what we get from Jesus, but really that we have to seek him for who he is, that he is the promised one, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who came to save us. And when we seek him for who he is, informed on who he is, we will be saved. A growing faith is an informed faith. But in this story, this context of these two types of people, there's a person. There is a humanness to the story that we sometimes can forget. If you're, if you're like me at all, you, you probably have read some stories of Jesus healing people, and we can kind of gloss over them because they come everyday kind of stuff. Oh, we kind of read them, but there is a humanness that we forget and that we need to read these accounts and almost place ourselves in this account as if we were there. And so what does this account say? There was an official whose little son was sick. This guy lived in the city of Capernaum, and he was official, and so most likely he was an important guy. He was maybe a nobleman. He, he was associated with what people would consider the King Herod, and so he had some clout, and yet his little boy was sick, and he could do nothing about it. You can almost imagine it doesn't say anything about this, but you can almost imagine that he had used his considerable influence to try to heal his son. That he had called in all the physicians. He called in all of his favorites. He was trying to get someone to save his son because his son was on his deathbed. But then he hears a rumor. Hey, Jesus is back in the region. That guy that does those, does those, those miracles, the guy that heals people who cast out demons, that guy, he's back in the region. He's up in Cana. So this man, living in Capernaum, that's on the, the, the Sea of Galilee, hears that Jesus is back, and so what does he do? He starts heading to Cana, 20 miles uphill. He says, I'm going to get help for my son. Place yourself in that story. 
if your son, your child was sick, wouldn't you get up and start heading to Cana? If you had exhausted all the ends to maybe help heal your son, wouldn't you be running to Canaan? Because when I put myself in a story, that's what I'm doing. I, out shape as I am, am running up those 20 miles to Cana. I'm going to be coming into Cana, gasping for breath, a cramp in my side, stumbling just to get to Jesus. Because he could possibly, maybe heal my son. He had a desperation that made him actually open for God to work through Jesus in his life. I can't help but think that that this is the same desperation we need to feel every single day as we are going through life knowing we can't do this. We should be running after Jesus, gasping out of breath, saying, I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to heal me. I need you to be in my life. I need you to do what you're doing. I need you you for something bigger than just making my son well for something bigger than just maybe making my life easier i need you because without you jesus i am condemned to die isolated and alone away from my god i need you jesus to bring me back to where i was made to be when we catch who jesus is that's what we do we run after him seeking him because we know that he can help us, that he can heal us, that he saves us. So we see this man, he runs to Jesus so that his son can be healed. I just wanted to, this is the first healing we actually see in the book of John, and so I just want to take a quick moment to talk about Jesus healing the sick people, the people in his life, because we see it throughout the Gospels, and we should be amazed by it. We should be encouraged by it. It should be something that gives us hope. We see Jesus being the king over even the sickness and the badness and the pain of our life. That Jesus can heal. But if you're like me, sometimes you can read these accounts of healing and you get a little jaded. And you go, yeah, Jesus was doing that back then, but he doesn't seem to be doing that in my life right now. If you're like me, sometimes we can see these, these passages of healing and we can even cry out, why not me? God, why don't you heal me? I know Jesus. Why don't you heal me? Why don't you hear my parent that is ill? Or why don't you hear, heal my child here or my, that friend I know who's going through that pain? Why don't you do that? And I'm willing to bet we can all put ourselves in that situation where we're asking that. I can, go, I can go personal because I've done this in my own life at times where I even, I hesitate to share it because I know so many people have so m many more severe problems than my own. But when I was in junior high, I started having chronic migraines and there would be times when I would be curled up in my bed and just through tears, I would be begging God, just take the pain away. But he didn't. I still get headaches, migraines. He still doesn't take the pain away. Medicine does. That's pretty nice. Sometimes. Why wouldn't he hear me? And I even had a dad that ran the proverbial 20 miles as a neurologist and basically tried every single thing possible. Why? Why? Not me. 
Am I supposed to take my personal circumstance and look at this and become jaded and say, well, maybe Jesus couldn't kill me? That's impossible. For I know who Jesus is. He's the Lord of the universe. At a word, he spoke the cosmos into place. I know who he is. He totally is within his power to do that. Am I supposed to say, no, maybe it's just because he doesn't love me? How absurd is that? For I know the reason why he came to pour himself out to save me on the cross, that we can read the scripture and know the truth, that we can cast all of our anxiety on him because he cares for us. So what do I do with this? And It's a tough question. It's a tough question, but guess what? Jesus can handle our tough questions. God can handle our tough questions. We'll struggle with this, and we've got to apply the Bible with this. But the fundamental thing is, when I struggle with that, I have to be reminded for why Jesus came and know this one monumental fact, that he has healed me. Maybe not from some pesky migraines. Maybe not from a disease I will contract later in my life. He has not healed me maybe from those things, but he has healed me from a far greater and more grievous and deeper problem. He has healed me from my sin. And I think we lose sight of that because we are so entrapped in these bodies and we think this is it and all of it. But the deepest problem, the greatest problem you can ever have in your life is that you are a sinner estranged from God and yet Jesus enters your life. He takes that sin away from you. He makes you whole again and he purifies you before the sight of God and he brings you into God's presence and he's going to bring you into God's kingdom at the end and he's going to make you whole and complete and new and that is far greater than any physical healing that might happen now. Not only that, but because I know that Christ has saved me, I know that I will be healed. That maybe it would happen now. I, don't, I believe God could heal us of our diseases right now. He could happen now. But if it doesn't happen now, guess what? It will happen when I am called home or when he returns again. Now, there will be a time when I stand before my God in my new glorious body that he has given me in a new heavens and new earth, and there will be no more pain. Every tear will be wiped away, and I will be complete and whole and almost have no more memory of that anymore and have glorious contact with my Father as Christ has given me. But until that day, I hope, I pray, I trust, And I know that God uses all for his glory. All the pain he uses for his glory, all the sickness he uses for his glory, all the joys he uses for his glory, and it boggles the mind to think about it, but yet it drives me to my knees as I praise him. That he uses all of this life that he's given me for his glory. And it brings me to a place of worship. So in the midst of the humus of the story, this official gasping for breath, heal my son, we also see something about Jesus in this story. We see his power and we see his compassion. We see his power, that he is able to heal. He heals his official sons, not by going and placing his hand on the official sons, not by doing that, but what does he simply do? He speaks. He says, go. Your son will live. He shows his power 
in his word. And I love this because as Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus actually keeps the whole universe, upholds the whole universe by the power of his word. It's that same word that's now going out and hitting this young boy and healing him from his deathbed. I love this because there is no range limit in Jesus' power. He owns it all. He he is over it all. He controls it all. That Jesus, when he says something happens, it happens. That if we believe the book of Colossians, we know that even at the beginning, when God spoke the heavens and the earth into being, he spoke it in through the being through his word, which is the Son, and that he made everything. He upholds everything. Everything is sustained by him. And so when Jesus says, go, your son will live, that son becomes better and is healed see his power of this Jesus. Marvel at this Jesus and know his strength. Know that whatever is going on in your life, he can reach into it and save you. That Jesus is never out of range of our needs. He's never out of range of what's going on in our life. That he is there with us working in our lives. He, that he is willing to save us. He can speak and change our lives and bring us to a place we could never even believe we could be. That's the power of Jesus. But we also see his compassion. That in the midst of whatever he's doing in Cana, this guy runs up to him and begs him to come and Jesus responds. We see that again and again through the Gospels. People come to Jesus because they maybe just have a tiny little bit of hope. Maybe they just have heard a rumor. Maybe they just have heard, maybe he's done these wondrous things and they just want to see it for themselves, but they come with real needs and Jesus responds with compassion, with love. This man came with the reality that his son was dying and Jesus responded how? By healing him. By saving him. And that's how anyone who approaches Christ with faith, any kind of faith is received. That we know the truth that you can come stumbling into the presence of Christ with the tiniest, itsy bitsy, tiny little bit of faith and he'll respond to you in tremendous ways. Meeting your needs, pointing you further into finding your complete fulfillment in him and him alone. And that's still true today. That when we approach Jesus, he does respond. That when we come before Christ, he will respond to us. That faith is coming before Christ with an open and empty hand, admitting I have nothing to bring to the table. I can't convince you to operate in my life. I can't convince you to love me. I have nothing, and yet I just come trusting and hoping and praying that you'll respond. And he does. He responds tremendously anytime someone comes to him with that empty hand of faith. So let's talk about that faith that we all should bring before Christ empty-handed because we know a growing faith is an informed faith. And when I say that, what do I mean by informed faith? Uh, Well, let's look at this man, this official. He comes before Jesus and it says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. 
This is a pattern we see again and again through these stories that people heard, heard Jesus and they believed what he spoke and that was the kernel, the beginning of a transformation in their lives. We saw in the Samaritans, right before this story, it says that the many more believed because of his word. And so we see that faith is an informed faith. It's knowing Jesus. It's getting to know how he works in this world. It's getting to know how he works and saves us and is working in our lives. And so we see this pattern that people, they go to see Jesus, they hear Jesus, they meet Jesus, and they come to know Jesus for who he is. They hear his teaching, and that is how they come to faith in him. It's not the miracles. All the miracles do is, is serve as a confirmation of his teaching and who he is. They support what he is saying. This is what I'm, I'm talking about when I'm saying an informed faith. Growing faith is an informed faith. It's based on Jesus' word. It's based on his character. It's based on what we know to be true of him, his work, and his mission. And that this is good news for us. For we have his teaching. We have his word. We have his mission laid down for us. And so when we look at these people back then that walked around with Jesus and they heard and spoke with him and we might long for that, we have the complete revelation of God in our hands that we can read and know him and we can have the exact same informed faith that they had. All we have to do is pick up these books that we all have and listen to the word of God as he speaks from this page. The grown faith is an informed faith. But there's also a warning here about our faith. We should not be like the Galileans who welcome Jesus just because they what they get from Jesus. Sometimes I fear we can become like those who are just seeking the wonders, seeking the healing, seeking the things that we might get. Maybe in our time it translates to seeking that experience of a spiritual high or feeling good about yourself. And experiences are not bad. No, in and of themselves, not at all. But when we make them the ultimate rule, desire, or decision decider in our lives, then we end up not so much following Jesus, but following what we can get from Jesus. And that can seem like a subtle shift, but we end up following pretty much what we want in our life, not so much as the one who gave us life. And so we need to be careful and say, no, our faith is an informed faith. It's one based on who Jesus is and what he has done for us, that we know through his word, that is an informed faith that, yes, we'll have highs because we realize the great and glorious truths that the maker of the universe loves us as his own kids, and it can't get higher than that. But yet, so much of the Christian faith is more washing dishes, doing carpool, and going to work on every day than the mountaintop high experiences. And Jesus is there present with us in those things as well. So much of our faith is knowing him and how he has called us to live in response to what he's done for us and all the minutia that is life. And that happens when we have an informed faith we know that we have a need and that's for him to save us and he does that and he brings us step by step along the way a growing faith is an informed faith so if our faith is informed it should be growing and i love looking at this official 
and seeing how his faith grew. Because we can go back to that humanness of the story and we see it. That he hears a rumor about Jesus and has some sort of hope. It's that little kernel. Maybe Jesus could do something about this. Maybe Jesus could heal my son. It's probably more an act of desperation than any true lasting faith. But he says, I'm going to go and see if Jesus can do something about this. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you got to come with me. You have to come with me. And we see there he's still seeing Jesus as this kind of a faith healer, this miracle worker. He's not uh, quite grasping the picture of who Jesus is. And we see this because there's actually another miracle of Jesus healing someone in the exact same region in Capernaum when someone comes to him, a centurion in Matthew 8, and I think in Luke 7, a centurion comes before Jesus and says, hey, my servant is ill, is Ill. please heal him. And Jesus is like, all right, let's go. And the centurion, this Roman soldier, over 100 people says, no, wait, we don't have to go anywhere. For I am a man of authority, and I recognize a man of authority in you. So if you would just say he be healed, I know for a fact he would be healed. And Jesus says, marvels at this and says, I've never seen such faith in the people, in my Jewish people, as I see in this centurion. And so compared to this guy, this official is not getting it. He still wants Jesus to come with him. He still, he's, he demands it twice. Come with me. Come with me. My son is on the deathbed. And so we see it's not quite a believing faith, but yet Jesus speaks to him and says, go, your son will live. And this it says, the man believed the word Jesus spoke to him. And so he makes his 20-mile trek back down to Capernaum. You've got to imagine almost every step of the way he is holding on to that phrase, your son will live, your son will live, your son will live. He's trusting in the words of Jesus little by little. He's saying, this is, this is all I got. I have nothing else. Your son will live. Your son will live. He's making his camp because it's probably a, a two-day or a day-and-a-half trip at night. He goes, your son will live. He's, he's kind of lulling himself to sleep that night, thinking the words of Jesus again and again. Your son will live. And he gets up the next day, and he continues on to Capernaum, and he meets his servants. And what do his servants tell him? Your son's alive. Your son will live. And he goes, when did this happen? And they say, about the seventh hour, which is one o'clock in the afternoon. And he goes, that's when Jesus said. That's exactly when Jesus said to me, go, your son will live. And we see also in his faith that was just a kernel, a faith that was just holding on to these words of Jesus and trusting that maybe they'll be true, start growing and growing because he sees it was true. My son is alive. My son will live see how his faith now informed with the reality, the truth, and the truth, uh, trustworthiness of Jesus' words starts growing and growing. And then it says he went home and his whole household believed. We see it growing even more. It grows past him into his whole household. Why would his whole household believe? Because would you believe for a second that a father, a dad, has this happened to him, and he does not use this story every single holiday, every single family gathering, every single time he's at the local watering hole, he's telling this story. Every single time people are gathered, he goes, hey guys, guess what? One time, my son was sick, 
Jesus was around and went to him, and he said he would be healed. And guess what he was? This whole household knew this story really fast because he came in proclaiming it. He came in shouting probably through the rooftops, my son is alive because Jesus said he would live. My son, who was on his deathbed, is now with us eating dinner. How amazing is that? And his faith grew. And it grew so much that his whole household believed. For they saw it and they believed it and they knew Jesus through it. And maybe Jesus is not just a miracle worker, but he truly is who he says he is. The Son of God, the long-awaited one, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who will take our sins and bring us back into right standing with our Heavenly Father. This is who he is. And so his faith grew because it became more and more informed about who Jesus was. Growing faith is an informed. And we can't read this story without then turning around and saying, what about us? For when we read this story, we we really just see who Jesus is and that he reaches into the humanness of any situation that confronts them and he meets them where they are, he provides for their needs, and he points to who he truly is. And so when we, we ask this about how faith grows, we should be asking What about us? Do you know Jesus? Not just know Jesus like intellectually, like I've read some stories. Not just know Jesus like someone told me a story once. Not just know Jesus like I'm looking to get something out of him. Or it sounds like it might be a good um, thing to be associated with. No, but do you know Jesus? Have you realized your need that without him, you have no hope here? Without him, you have no hope when you stand before God at the judgment time. Without him, you have no hope for any meaningfulness here in a fleeting life. Without him, there's nothing. Have you realized your desperation and need in God and known him for who he is? Do you know Jesus? And if you do, are you growing? In Jesus? For when you know Jesus, know who he is, you start seeing how his truth, his place is standing, what he gives us in this life starts impacting every single bit of our life. Doesn't make it easy. Doesn't make it flat and nice and, and, you know, a flower parade or whatever that is. No, but he's there with you in the ups and the downs. He's crying with you, mourning with when people, when we lose people. He's helping us grow step by step as we apply his word to our lives. That he is, he is charting out the course and he's bringing us to completion because he started a good work and he's not going to be a failure and he's going to bring you to heaven at the end. Do you know Jesus and have seen how it grows in you? And your faith grows step by step? Because a growing faith is an informed faith. Which means if you find yourself stagnant, if you think, man, I just I really am kind of a lukewarm situation with my faith, then get to know Jesus more. And that's not pick up a systematic theology, which I always recommend. No, it is get to know him. Open up the book of John. See him 
and who he is and how he loves you, how he can move heaven and earth for you, and he does, how he died for you. Get to know him, that he's with you. And he'll pull you, sometimes kicking and screaming, but he'll pull you. Sometimes by changing your affections and making you love him more than other things around you, but he'll pull you more into him deeper and deeper so you grow in him. See Jesus, know him, grow in him. A growing faith is an informed faith. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we marvel at you. We marvel at your your power that you can heal us from our physical disease, yes, but heal us from our spiritual disease, that we need you to save us. And Lord, I pray that we can all, every single one of us, know you. See you for who you are. See you proclaiming the truth that you are the Son of You are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the one sent for us. The one who lived the perfect life for us. The one who dies for us, taking our sins upon the cross. The one who rose for us so that we can have hope and assurance that we will one day be with our Father. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and we just pray that we can grow in our knowledge of you, grow in our love of you, grow in you as we are informed of who you are. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.